Welcome back to another episode of What a Week, Progress Iowa's weekly podcast to break down the week's headlines, dive deeper, and hear from leaders about issues you care about. I'm your host, James Simmons, he, him pronouns, and I'm super excited for our guest this week. Before we learn more about him, though, let's head over to this week's weekly rundown. On the weekly rundown, I will be sharing with you highlights from this week's news. You can also get these daily highlights by subscribing to our Daily High Five, Progress Iowa's new newsletter that keeps you up to date about the happenings around the state. Oh, thank you. So, without further ado, let's get started on today's weekly rundown. Let's kick off our weekly rundown here in Iowa with a bird's eye view on the Republican leadership in this state. State Representative Bobby Kaufman flipped off a crowd of people at the Iowa Capitol earlier this week to end his speech about the tyranny of the federal government. Later, some reporters asked him if he had any regrets showing his middle finger to that crowd, and his response was, zero. I just regret I didn't do it earlier. So, other than the obvious issues with the expectation that our elected officials don't flip the bird in our state capitol, this also all happened less than a week after his father, the Iowa Republican Party chairman, Jeff Kaufman, released a statement criticizing U.S. Senate candidate Abby Finkenauer for swearing at an event. This irony of this could not be any more ridiculous, but to add to the situation, Bob Vanderplatt, CEO of the Des Moines-based hate group, The Family Leader, tweeted in response to Kaufman and said that this wasn't leadership, which prompted Bobby to respond back and say the exact same thing. While Republicans have the trifecta in the state, this is the leadership that we are left with. A major piece of national news from this week was the announcement of the Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement after 28 years on the bench. He is the senior most member of the liberal wing of the Supreme Court, so Biden's replacement won't change the partisan leaning of the court, but the president did promise one historic change. He would nominate the first African-American woman to the Supreme Court. While our legislatures around the country are beginning to reflect the diversity of the United States more and more, our judicial system has been very slow to catch up, and I'm super excited to see who this nominee is, and I'm even more excited to see what her work as a fair, pragmatic, and empathetic justice on our highest bench will be. Our last big piece of news from this week was from Thursday the 27th, which was the 77th International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Leaders around the world spoke about the importance of remembering the horrible tragedies that happened before and during World War II, and how we must all work together to make sure that such atrocities never happen again. Unfortunately, some leaders in our country did not get that memo. One Tennessee school district made national headlines after the board unanimously voted to ban the book Mouse, which is a graphic novel that centers around the Holocaust and has been used to help educate students and people around the globe about the tragedy. If Republican leaders in Iowa have their way, books like Mouse could be banned in Iowa schools in the coming months and years to come. We need to not only remember the terrible things that have happened before to honor their memories, but also to ensure that such travesties never happen again. And that's it for this week's wrap-up, but you can hear more from us by subscribing to The High Five, our daily newsletter that will keep you up to date about the happenings around the state.
And so, my guest today is a monumental figure in progressive politics and a fighter for all Iowans, Iowa Democratic Senator and Minority Leader Zach Walls. Walls gained national fame in 2011 when he spoke in front of the Iowa House Judiciary Committee about LGBTQ rights in the state of Iowa and his experience as a child with two mothers. He went on to write a book about his experiences, later becoming a leading voice for queer rights in the state and the country, and he was even invited to deliver a speech at the 2012 Democratic Convention. He was first elected in 2018, and as a first-term senator, he has become the Democratic leader in the Iowa Senate. I was able to speak with Leader Walls about issues workers are facing in our state, and I'm excited to share that conversation with you all now. So, without further ado, let's head over to our guest. And joining us today is our guest, Democratic Leader and State Senator Zach Walls from Coralville. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, so I'm going to start off with you have said that the state's number one problem right now is the Reynolds workforce crisis. Can you explain to our listeners what that is and why this is a top priority for the Senate Democrats? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's just it's nice to be with you. I think it's my second time on the podcast, so it's good to be back. Um, you know, the as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the workforce crisis that I was dealing with is is unlike anything that we've seen in a long time. Uh, and workforce crisis might sound like a kind of esoteric topic, like what is a workforce? Why is it crisis? It's basically it's a fancy way of saying that we don't have enough opportunity in the state of Iowa. Uh, we know that for a long time, Iowa has been a very low wage state. Uh, and for the most part, a lot of places in Iowa are relatively low cost of living. Um, increasingly, that's not the case in, in some of the urban areas. Uh, the Iowa City area, Des Moines area uh, certainly are, are getting more and more expensive. Um, and as a result, because wages aren't keeping up with the cost of, of rising cost of living, uh, a lot of folks, frankly, can't even afford to work in some of these low-wage jobs anymore. And as a result, uh, it's having really big effects on our economy. We know that we're seeing challenges. If you're anything like me, uh, some of your favorite restaurants may not be you know, serving food on, on a regular basis, might be closed random days of the week, so you can't order uh, takeout or, or delivery. Um, we also know that there are families that are struggling um, just because wages aren't keeping up with, with where cost of goods are going. And so uh, when we talk about the Reynolds workforce crisis, what we're talking about is, is largely the inability of Republicans to pass policies that attract and retain more Iowans to our state with high paying quality jobs. It's a huge issue. It's having effects uh, on, on everyday Iowans. Uh, not just those of us who are, are looking for delivery, but it's meaning that kids in, in Davenport can't get to school because they don't have enough bus drivers. It means that class sizes in Mason City are getting bigger because they don't have enough teachers. Uh, it means that we don't have uh, the ability to hire more uh, public safety officers to keep us safe on our roads or in, or in uh, our communities. And so there are a huge number of challenges that are facing our state. Uh, but I think that you can tie a lot of them back to what we call the Reynolds workforce crisis. And all of that comes back to the fact that Republicans don't have any ideas about how to attract or retain talent in Iowa or to convince young people to stay and build a future here. And instead, they're pursuing a really radical and divisive political and social agenda that pits Iowans against Iowans and drives a lot of people out of our state. Yeah, uh, there's actually a register editorial um, from last year talking about uh, where they said the same thing where that the Republican legislature is leading trying to attract businesses rather than attract workers, but that businesses are not going to come to Iowa and build these economic opportunities if there's not workers to fill the jobs and yeah. if there's not people here to uh, go to the business and actually spend their money there. Um, 
you touched on a lot of really important things there, but why do you think that fewer Iowans are working today than when Governor Reynolds like stepped into office? Um, yeah, so re- Republicans like to assert that, you know, that, oh, this is a big national problem. This is not about Iowa. But that couldn't be further from the truth. If you look at where we were 10 years ago, uh, back when Republicans retook the governorship and um, we had Branstead 2.0, and you look at where we are today, 10 years later, and you look at the United States overall over that same 10-year period, there are fewer Iowans in the workforce today than there were a decade ago. And at the same time, there are almost 10 million more Americans nationwide who are in the workforce than there were 10 years ago. And the upshot of that is that other states are moving forward, they're they're expanding, they're growing, they've got lots of economic opportunity. And in Iowa, it's the exact opposite. We have less and less opportunity. Uh, like I said, wages are not keeping pace with inflation. Uh, we know that obviously we're in a unique situation right now with COVID and some of the shortages that are increasing prices. But this is not just in the last year or two years. This is a, a decade-long story of, I would say, a Republican failure of leadership in our state. Um, ever since the Republicans retook control from the Democrats and broke the Democratic trifecta in 2010, they've pursued a relentlessly conservative and right-wing agenda. Um, you know, my entry into politics was in 2011 when I spoke to the Iowa General Assembly about growing up with lesbian parents. And that was in response to Republicans trying to amend Iowa's state constitution to reverse the 2009 decision that had uh, recognized marriage equality in our state. And the reality is that that decision actually attracted people to Iowa. Uh, I remember actually on um, when I was running for office in 2018, I remember getting a haircut at a, a local sports clips in Coralville and talking with the woman cutting my hair who moved here from Kentucky with her partner because of Iowa's Supreme Court decision in 2009. And so, you know, there was a time when Iowa was really helping to lead the country, uh, was a pioneer on civil rights issues, uh, and that actually attracted people to move to Iowa. And today we're seeing exactly the opposite from the Republican majorities that control our state government. Yeah, and I mean, also, we, uh, Senate President calling teachers put, sinister, saying they're pushing a sinister agenda, a deviant agenda. There's been bills introduced by Representative Sandy Salmon to block conversations about current events in social studies classes. And we're seeing issues across the state. Um, you tweeted out this morning, actually, t- uh, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And in Tennessee, they banned a book that was a graphic novel that depicted the Holocaust and the terrible things that happened during that so one of the issues that with our workforce crisis, the Reynolds workforce crisis specifically in Iowa is that, and across the country too, is that we have a massive teacher shortage, but then we also have legislators, Republican legislators and the governor um, pushing these legislations that are driving people away that aren't showing that Iowa is an inclusive space. What are, what is the Demo- Democratic Senate plans to respond to that? Or like, how do we respond to that? You know, on the very first day of the session this year, when uh, Senator Chapman delivered his sinister agenda speech, which obviously has gotten a lot of coverage, not just in Iowa, but across the country, you know, we obviously were not given a, an advanced copy of his remarks. But in, in my speech, we, not knowing that that's where he was going to go with his speech, we, we called them Republicans, you know, it's time to stop pouring gasoline on the culture war fire, right? It's time to start bringing Iowans together and trying, instead of trying to divide and pit Iowans against each other. You know, we know that there are disagreements about some of these 
um, you know, lots of different issues. But Iowa for a long time has been a live and let live state. And unfortunately, Republicans are now trying to impose their right wing social worldview on the rest of us. And you see this all the time, right? It's not just uh, in Senator Chapman's speech, but we've seen it for the last decade. Republicans have relentlessly attacked the ability of cities, counties, and school boards to make their own decisions. And they've increasingly centralized power in state government. Now, not that long ago, Republicans were the party that supported local control and, and kind of decentralized government. Um, but as we've seen this more authoritarian wing of the Republican Party really take control of, of the Republican Party, uh, that has obviously changed in a pretty dramatic way. And so there's no doubt that we're in a really challenging place right now. But what, what I would say to anyone who's listening is that it's really important that you know that Republicans are, are trying to weaponize the fear that some of us feel. It's and if you're anything like me, there are certainly days where you have really dark or, or negative thoughts about the future of our democracy. Uh, but that's exactly what Republicans want, right? I mean, they want us to feel like we're powerless or that there's nothing that we can do. Uh, and the reality is, is totally different. You know, there's always the ability for us to get involved in our communities, uh, to continue to make sure that we're staying involved in our local elections, in our cities, our counties, our school board elections. Um, that we're participating in civic society. It's obviously more challenging right now due to the pandemic, um, but you know the, the participation in, in local uh, civic organizations is a critically important part of the, the fabric of our society that helps keep us together. And that is a part of our lowercase d democracy, right? Our lowercase d dem democratic country. Uh, and that's really, really important for all of us to find those opportunities to stay involved, stay engaged, and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to keep Iowa moving forward. What, uh, going off of that, specifically looking at like rural Iowa, um, metros like Iowa City, Coralville, Des Moines have been growing substantially over the last 10 years, but rural Iowa has continued to dramatically dwindle. Um, and with the loss of local power and everything, then there's less and less voices in these rural areas to stand up against some of these Republican attacks. Uh, how do we help rural Iowa? How do we help rural workers? Um, fight back against this? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, if you look at the most recent census data, there are about 99 count, there are 99 counties in the state of, of Iowa, right? About 100. Of, of Iowa's counties, about 70 are losing population, so declining in population. About 20 are kind of stagnant, right? They're either gaining just a little or losing just a little, right? The net, the net change is not too dramatic one way or another. And there's like another 10 counties that are, are growing pretty substantially. You know, this is your Johnson County, Polk County, Dallas County, et cetera. Um, the 70 counties that are losing population um, are, are rapidly aging. And we know that reversing the trend line in those communities is going to be really, really difficult. Um, one of the things that will certainly uh, not help with that is the Republican plan to privatize Iowa's public education system. And ironically, the people who are kind of most enthusiastic about uh, the, the so-called private school voucher program are, are people who, a lot of whom come from rural areas, where, if, frankly, if, if this proposal moves forward, you're going to see even more rapid consolidation of rural schools. Uh, and you're going to actually wind up seeing fewer choices in a lot of these rural communities. Uh, so that's one thing that will actually make that problem a lot worse. One of the things that we need to be focused on is how do we support those 20 counties that are currently you know, kind of in that more stagnant, not losing a lot, not, not uh, gaining a lot. How do we help them figure out what their 
opportunities are going to be moving forward, right? We know that Iowa is going to continue to have a relatively low cost of living compared to a lot of other places in the country. Um, we know that we continue to have good public schools, even though Republicans are continuing to underinvest and eventually you have to pay the piper. Um, what are the things that we can do to make those communities attractive uh, to employers, to families, and to folks who have left but might want to come back to Iowa, or to folks who are thinking about moving to Iowa for the first time? I think there are a lot of things that we can do. You know, a lot of it comes back to the sh having strong, high-quality public education. Uh, it means investing in affordable housing, which is something that, you know, when when my wife moved to, to Coralville from New York City, realized that she could cut her in half and triple her square footage, the apartment that we were going to be renting, and she was pretty excited about that. You know, um, she especially now that we're in this new era where um, many, although obviously not all jobs are, are happening remotely and are, are happening via Zoom, there are going to be new employment opportunities um, for, for folks who are able to work remotely uh, to, to be in, a, in a, one of these kind of smaller uh, towns, smaller cities uh, in a more rural area, uh, but still have a high quality of life. Um, I was just before we had this conversation, I was talking with folks from the Iowa Cultural Coalition, a group of folks who are invested in, in trying to make sure that Iowa is a great place for the arts and culture. Uh, and so there are a lot of things that we are able to do, but we have to decide that they're worth doing. And I think that's where this fundamental disagreement comes down between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Um, many of my Republican colleagues think that the only thing the government should be doing is cutting taxes and, and getting out of the way. Uh, Democrats think that there's there such a thing as a public good that require government to get involved and help provide uh, you know, those services and goods because we believe that we are a country by, of, and for the people. Like that's the whole point of government. And, and obviously in the 10 counties that are already growing, you know, frankly, a lot of it is just state government, yeah, getting out of the way. Uh, but in those 20 counties that are, are stagnant and, and even in those uh, counties that are shrinking, um, the idea that the free market is going to solve this problem is, I think, just pretty clearly self-evidently not correct. Right. And you pointed out a lot of really specific issues facing um, Iowans, but rural Iowans across the workforce. Uh, we, we know that one of the major issues, too, is child care and access to affordable and quality child care. Um, what is the plan with that moving forward? What is the what are the Republicans proposing for that? And how, uh, what are the Democrats working for? So, you know, Republicans have been kind of just nibbling around the edges on child care for a long time. You know, people maybe may not understand that one of the reasons why child care is such an important issue in our state is that Iowa is actually one of the national leaders when it comes to um, all parents working outside of the home. We're a state that historically said very high labor force participation by women. And as a result, you know, it, we have families that really depend on child care to take care of, of kids when they're at a young age. Uh, and as a result, um, Child care, just there's a lot of demand for child care per capita here in, in Iowa. Um, another thing that kind of uh, is contributing to the challenge, we talked about this briefly, but because Iowa is a historically low wage state, you know, unfortunately, the economics of this just don't really pencil out. Providers are, are caught in a really tough place, child care providers are caught in a really tough place where they're trying to provide a critically important, I mean, the definition of an essential service, right? Um, while at the same time, uh, they're providing relatively low wages. Uh, and the other challenge is that if you think about it, households that have young children, not always, but almost always are by definition, 
relatively early in their careers, right? So you're not making, you know, a huge amount of money. Like maybe, you know, you make, generally speaking, people make more money as they get older. If you've got young kids who are in childcare, probably by definition, you're a little bit earlier uh, in your working years. And as a result, your ability to you know, pay for childcare can cost more than your mortgage, can cost more than your student loan payments, can cost more than rent. And that can create real problems if you're a household trying to make your, your household budget work. Uh, so we think that one of the, the key solutions here, and again, this is a great illustration of where this is a clearly a very important public good, uh, making sure that our children are, are getting the care that they need uh, in these really important formative years uh, while parents are, are working is really important. And, and clearly the, the free market economy is able to work for some people, right? If, you, if you're you know, white collar professional, we're making six figures, this is probably not as much of an issue for you. But if you're like a normal Ohioan and, and um, you're maybe struggling to make the payments, like that's where a perfect place where government should step in. And like, if you believe that government can do good things, we're not necessarily saying that the government needs to like, you know, nationalize and run all the childcare centers, but we can clearly see that there's a role for the state to step in and help make the, the economics of that work so that you can have childcare providers who are high quality and well-paid while also giving young families the support that they need from the state to, to make sure that their kids are able to get the care and nourishment that they need, but while parents are able to continue to stay in the workforce. And so one of the key ideas that Democrats have been putting forward is expanding childcare assistance. CCA or childcare assistance is one of the key programs that our state uses to help subsidize uh, childcare providers and basically make sure that parents are able to pay for the services that they need for their families. Um, historically, CCA has been relatively limited with some very strict income limits. Um, and one of the challenges that we actually were able to solve last year was that there was something called a cliff effect, where essentially if you earned a single dollar more, your CCA benefit went to zero. And so you're actually, you're, you're, I'm going to use an economic term here, but your marginal benefit was like negative in a really big way. So that was, that was really bad. And we have fixed that. But there's still a lot more that we can do to make CCA an effective program and support not just young families, but also the, the child care providers and employees who actually deliver the service to Iowans. Awesome. So there, we're seeing during this pandemic, obviously, that a lot of these issues are very interconnected and the workforce issue is related to the childcare issue, is related to the education issue and just everything connecting. Is there anything else that uh, we as Iowans should be looking out for coming from um, the Democrats in the Senate for this session? The one thing that we'll be releasing here in the next couple of weeks, um, just uh, last night, uh, Senate Republicans unleashed uh, their proposed changes to Iowa tax law. Now, um, I think it was Ben Franklin who said there are two things in life that are guaranteed, death and taxes. Um, you know, but Democrats believe that Iowa's tax code should be fair. At the end of the day, you know, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an independent or a libertarian or a democratic socialist, you know, I think that we can all agree that we want a tax code that's fair, right? The, the challenge, of course, can be in defining, well, what does fair mean? Democrats don't believe that it's fair that we're going to give millionaires a massive tax cut and essentially use that lost revenue to then turn around and cut critical and essential services that predominantly benefit middle class and working class islands. I know we don't think that it's fair that corporations are going to get you know, under Governor Reynolds' proposed plan, a $300 million tax cut over the next five years. Well, they're proposing to spend less than half of that amount in new education funding. 
next year. Right? We think that if you can afford a $300 million corporate tax cut, you can probably afford to spend $300 million investment in making sure that we don't have extra large class sizes, right? Or that kids can't get to school uh, on their buses. So we think that there are really common sense and practical things that we can do with the budget surplus that Iowa has which I should remind your listeners is predominantly the result of President Biden and Representative Axney's work to pass the American Rescue Plan. But what the Republicans are proposing is going to raise taxes on a lot of Iowans who are working uh, in, in the middle class. You're going to see property taxes go up. And so if you're a homeowner, you'll see that directly. If you're a renter, you'll see that in the form of higher rent. Um, and we know that there are going to be um, cuts to services, because when you defund state government to the tune of $2 billion, and your state budget is only $8 billion total, you're going to see cuts in education, you're going to see cuts in Medicaid, our our public health insurance program uh, for working class families. And that's going to result in really negative outcomes for people. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, whether or not Um, this plan passes, it's going to have a huge impact on the ability of our state uh, to make these critical investments in in these kinds of essential services. If this plan does in fact become law, we're going to have real questions about our ability as a state uh, to do just kind of basic common sense investments in public education, public safety, and in public health. If this plan doesn't pass, we'll be, I think, in a very strong fiscal shape. But you know, when it comes to taxes, which again, like it can be talking about taxes can be like watching paint dry, but it's really, really important because taxes are how we're able to pay for these really essential services that I think all of us have actually gotten a, a newfound appreciation for over the last two years. Uh, and it'll be really disappointing if if Republicans use these one-time federal dollars that have put us in a strong fiscal position uh, in an attempt to justify a massive tax cut uh, that'll predominantly benefit the wealthiest few. Right. It is long past time that tax cuts in Iowa actually benefit the working class of Iowa and not those who are just contributing to the campaigns of people who are currently in the elected office. I I could not agree with you more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Leader Walls. Um, You can hear more from him on his weekly newsletter that is sent out from the Senate Democrats. You can also find him on social media. He's got Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow the Iowa Senate Democrats on all those platforms as well. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insight with us today. Glad to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us again on today's edition of What A Week. You can hear more from us by following our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Progress Iowa, and by subscribing to The High Five, Progress Iowa's daily newsletter that keeps you up to date about what's happening around the state. Thanks so much for listening. My name is James Simmons, and I'll hear you again soon.